Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 8 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 28th of June 2009, entitled The Basis of Our Faith, The Word of God. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Hold your finger there. Turn backwards just a few pages in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians. I invite you to stand with us for the reading of God's holy word. Beginning first of all in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, which says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect truly furnished unto all good works. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that we have the health and the strength and the privilege to be here in your house this morning. Father, we thank you for each one that you've allowed to come this way. We thank you, Lord, for your word that we've just read from. We thank you for your spirit that lives within. Now, Father, we commit all of this into your hands, knowing that, Lord, it's not the words of man that we need here this morning, but even as we have just read from your word, Lord, it is the word of God which we need. That's what we need to be implanted within our hearts. Lord, I pray, as you know every heart here this morning and you know the needs of each individual, I pray that through the power of the Spirit that you would speak to those hearts. Lord, that each and every person would be able and willing to respond in whatever way that is necessary here today and in some way each of us can leave this place different than when we entered. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it seems a long time, two weeks since we were here. Of course, last week we had the Canfields on their way to Kenya with us. The week before that, Brother Pedro preaching for us. So we've had two weeks away from the series that we have been looking at uh, called Contending for the Faith. I wonder after two weeks, do you still remember? that we begin with this contending for the faith, that there is a fight to be fought for a faith in its fullness on a foundation that's firm against a foe that's a fraud. And of course, we've looked at a number of things. We've looked at that earnestly contending. We've looked at exposing the error. 
the apostasy that we can see historically, the apostasy that we can see right here and, and, and now. We looked at how that as Christians we need to approach this and experience confidence and, and enjoy contentment even though that we're in the midst of this battle. And we looked at those important things of awareness and attentiveness and acceptance and aggressiveness in contending for this faith. And of course, we said that as we contend for a faith, that there are those fundamentals, those things that are the basis, those things that everything else must be built upon. And of course, those things are necessary that they be right. And of course, as we begin to look at some of these fundamentals. You know, we have extremes as people tend to go to extremes in some direction or another. And of course, some people just aren't willing to contend for anything today. Uh, it just doesn't make any difference. You know, let's just, uh, let's just all pretend that everybody's okay and that's it. And of course, that's not doing anybody any favors. By the same token, we have some that are splatting or fighting and splitting hairs and dividing over things that are not fundamental to the faith, making people our enemies that are not our enemies. I make no bones that I am a very poor, lousy, terrible ecumenist. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too stubborn. Uh, I know that, that when I believe something that, uh, again, there's things that, you know, as I have said in this, I don't want you to believe anything that we say during this just because I tell you. Because if you do, somebody else will come along and tell you something different and you'll believe what they said. And What I want is the end that we believe what we believe because God has shown us. If you get tired of me pointing you to here, don't believe it if I can't support it with this. I would never tell you something intentionally wrong, but folks, I'm a man, I'm human, I'm fallible. But we're going to look at something today that is infallible, something that cannot be wrong, something that is, as we sang earlier that foundation that is firm that we can build upon and know with absolute certainty that it's right because it is not of man contending for the faith, the fundamentals. We don't want to try to be divisive and make people our enemies that are not our enemies because they don't dot every I and cross every T just as we do. But I'm saying to you today unashamedly, that if this is God's word that he has given to us, and if our life and our destinies and all that we are depends upon this book, then that is the foundation that the rest of our faith is built upon. The basis of our faith, the word of God, is what we'll be looking at. And we won't finish that in one sermon. Matter of fact, I've made the comment that I've, I've taught in, in entire terms in, in, in institute and Bible college on just the Word of God, nothing else, and then even didn't begin to cover all that could be said. But I want, at least in this sermon and probably the next one, to give you enough things and point you to enough scriptures to where you can understand and realize that we cannot waver. Either this is God's Word or folks, we have no hope whatsoever. We have no faith to stand upon because we find as we begin to look here, and now <laughs> you might be asking, you know, is this preacher really know what he's talking about? Is he kind of flip-flopping around on some of these things? Because I know that we've just in this series, we've heard him referring to Christ as the foundation 
the sure foundation that everything must be built upon. But now he's talking about the Word of God being that foundation. And of course, he even spoke at one point about the apostles being the foundation of the church that even today we are a part of, that we are being built upon. Well, I want to say to you, I haven't completely lost my mind yet. <laughs> and there are no, big, capital, bold, underline, there are no contradictions in God's Word. God doesn't say one thing one place and something else somewhere else. If it looks that way, we've the one that's got the wrong interpretation, the wrong idea, and we need to get and study. And that's the one thing that there is no greater interpreter of Scripture than Scripture itself. Let God explain it to you. He will never, ever, ever lead you wrong. We find that the apostles are referred to as the foundation of the church of God in God's Word. He's the one that calls them that. Because it was Jesus Christ himself who began building his church while he was here upon this earth. He's the one that handpicked, personally chose those 12 men that would be, if you would, the founding members of that church of which he was the chief cornerstone. We find that each and every one of us have been built upon that foundation that he himself laid while he was here. But remember, it was Jesus Christ that was the chief cornerstone of that foundation and all that would be built upon it. He is and always will be the ultimate foundation, the strength for each and every one of us, for everyone that becomes part of that body. These men that he chose and the prophets through which he also gave us his his word, we find that is Jesus Christ the foundation as well as his word? How can both be so? And of course, in fact, that wouldn't make any sense if we didn't have the word of God because it's within God's words that we find the correlation between the word of God, the Bible, the written word of God, and Jesus Christ, the living word of God. You see, both God's Word and Jesus Christ are supernatural in their origin. They don't have their beginnings any other way. We find in both of them a blending of the divine and the human. How could Jesus Christ be 100% God and at the same time 100% man? How can the Word of God be authored by God Himself and yet be pinned by the hands of men that he chose to do that. Both have a transforming power that is beyond anything else that we know in existence for all those who will believe and accept them. There is no other way to God outside of Jesus Christ. It is our belief, our faith, our trust in him it's not a question, and I know how confusing that it can be. If you even genuinely begin to think, well, there's got to be something out there, which, by the way, common sense should tell you that, to think that it just all came out of a big cosmic soup one day because something exploded and here it was, 
That takes a lot more faith than to believe that somebody with intelligence created it and designed it, and you look at everything that has to work not just on our earth, not even when you come down to just in one human living body, but in the universe and everything that lives there. And some to believe that that could be by chance. I'm saying the Bible says look around. Common sense will tell you that there's a God that exists. But you see, there's only one place that you can find out the way to that God because part of the problem is today. There are too many people. There are too many religions that are all saying, this is the way and this is the way and this is the way to get there. And then there are those that say, well, it doesn't really matter which way you go. We're all headed in the same direction anyway. And I say to you that God says something very different from that. The problem is most of our religions today are based upon men and men's ideas and denominations and churches when in fact it needs to be based upon the Word of God. What God says, I unashamedly point you back to this book time and time and time again. I unashamedly tell you that I believe it to be the foundation, the very Word of God. And what you believe and the faith that you have, the Bible itself says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, you can look around and you can tell, boy, somebody had to have a hand in this. But it's only God's Word. You see, it's the living Word of God. Jesus Christ Himself, He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He is the only way. And folks, that's not being narrow-minded or cruel by God. The truth is there's only one way that your sins can be forgiven. Do you notice where we began there in 1 Thessalonians 2.13? For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Why? Because ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us. Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. He said, thank God that you received. Yes, it was from us, the apostle Paul said, it was from us, but it was God's word that was being given to you through us. Thank God you received it as his word, not as the word of men. We must have something sure. We must have a solid foundation to build upon. It is only Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, that can transform your life, that can give you life anew, that your sins can be forgiven. I remind you, I've said it many times, and if you sit under the sound of my preaching, you'll probably hear it a lot more times. The simple truth is, you as an individual, you could honestly be the best person sitting here this morning. Matter of fact, you could be the best person in the whole city of Birmingham, in the whole of the UK. You could be the best person on planet Earth. There is nobody else that comes closer to perfection than you. you. You love so genuinely. You care so much. You don't do anything to hurt anybody. I mean, you're right up there at the top. I mean, the best that there's been. 
And yet, one sin, one simple sin of disobedience in the Garden of Eden. You want to look around you? You want to see all the horrors, the pain, the suffering, the agony? It was with sin that death came into this world, that the curse came upon this world. That was not God's choice. But you know, God could not give you the choice to believe without giving you the choice to reject. He couldn't give you the choice to love without giving you the choice not to love. We, his creation, our forefathers, we all go back to that first man, Adam. We, the human race, chose sin, not God. But then God knew that we would do that. God put a plan in place because without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. Nothing else can pay for sin. We can't comprehend a holy God. Why could God, why could God let one person that, I mean, had the tiniest sin that's ever been committed, why couldn't he let them into heaven? Because heaven would no longer exist. One sin, and it would all be wiped out. One sin would bring the same death, the same curse that we struggle with now when we look around us and we say, why? That's the problem of sin. But God had a plan. He gave us his son. Look with me if you would into the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, which so clearly gives us this description. He says, in the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of that light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But, oh, aren't you glad that's there? <laughs> but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, it's only in accepting him 
that you can know that life. It's in rejecting him that you see, in order to give life, there has to be death. There has to be the non-existence of life. Sin brings death, the non-existence of life. Jesus Christ came to give you life. You chose sin. We're born in sin. Just read your own mind a few times if you don't believe it. <laughs> but God wanted to give us away. He became flesh. He dwelt among us in truth, the living word and the written word. They're inseparable. They're inseparable. It was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The power of the word in the beginning, God. You read right down through each and every day, God said and it was. I like, I don't even remember who's, who I heard say it the first time now. You know, Jesus Christ, in John chapter 14, he, he promised that he was going away to prepare a place. But you know, he didn't have to go and find a hammer and nails and he's not been up there banging away and sawing away and building all these places for us. God speaks, and it is. That's the power of God's word. That's the same power that came in the flesh. It's God's word that we hold in our hands that has been preserved for you and I. You see, that's why I say there's so many things I can say. That's really where any study of the fundamentals, the necessities, the things that cannot be done away with, that cannot be changed, about any real genuine faith in God. It's got to begin with God. The Word of God truly is the basis or the very foundation of our faith. It's from the basis that all the other fundamentals rest. When we can conclude in our heart that God, our Creator, that he exists, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, that he communicates. Folks, what do you use to communicate with? Words. He communicates with the word. And if we will take his word and believe it, believe him and accept it, then all the other things that we need to know and trust and believe about him, they'll flow naturally. On the other hand, a lot of the trouble with religion today begins with the very fact they don't base their faith on the same foundation. You see, the foundation in many cases has been destroyed. If we have trouble believing God's word, then we're most certainly going to have trouble with the things that it tells us. <laughs> it is God's Word. I might ask you the question, is it God's Word? Do you believe today that this is God's Word? And can 
And will we take him for what he says? I want to give you all together six things, but I'm just going to give you the first one this morning about God's word. You see, first of all, he tells us very clearly. We read there the, the first verse in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 that they accepted it not as the word of man, but as the word of God. And you find that in writing to young Timothy, the scripture that you've seen before you on the screen this morning, all scripture, that's important, all scripture, he says is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that's the one thing that I want you to come to realize and understand and grasp. I want to tell you this, that just as many people have lots of different meanings when they talk about Christianity, there are very few people in this world today that would claim to be religious in even the remotest way towards Christianity. There are very few of them that wouldn't say that they didn't believe in inspiration. They believe in inspiration. Well, just like so many things, words can have different meanings to different people, can't they? People say, oh, we believe the same thing. We believe in inspiration. The Bible says very clearly, and that's what we want to build from, all Scripture is given by inspiration. Now, first of all, what does inspiration mean to you when you think about it? Have you ever been inspired to do anything in your life? <laughs> Something good? What do you mean when, when you maybe you're talking about somebody else? Maybe it was... Uh, Maybe it was something that you were listening to. Maybe it was somebody. Maybe it was an event that you said, it just inspired me to do such and such. What are you talking about? How do, what, what is it that that did to you? And of course, a lot of times we term other things like we listen to inspirational music. Well, what is inspirational music? What does inspirational music do to you? Well, if you're calling it inspirational music, it should be inspiring you to something. Well, what is that? What are we talking about? Probably most of you this morning, just like me, and I don't claim to be the world's smartest person, some things are kind of hard to put into words even when we use the words regularly. What do we mean when we're inspired? Well, the truth is, is that even here, as we were given God's word in our English language, these translators that were being used of God to do that, they come across and God has said something here in the original, in the Greek, and as he said that, what he's actually said is that all Scripture is God-breathed. <laughs> God-breathed. And when we talk about given by inspiration, given by the very breath of God is what they're saying. And of course, you know, again, it was not coincidence that we've looked at in different ways in times gone by. It wasn't coincidence that God gave us his word 
the way that he did in the Old Testament in the Hebrew and in the New Testament in the Greek. It wasn't a coincidence, the timing, the effect, or any of those things that he gave it to us in such a rich language so that even in translations. Now, I'm going to say something that some people would disagree with and hopefully not here this morning. I do not for one second believe in double inspiration. Some would believe that God inspired it, that God breathed it one time when he gave it to us in the original writings and then that he turned around and breathed it again when he gave it to us in our English Bibles. No, folks, that's something different. We'll look at that a little later on. It's one of those other words when we talk about the preservation of God's word. I believe I hold God's word in my hand. But when God gave it through those writers, base it on Scripture, not on what we want to believe or think we can believe or what man has said, God breathed his word. And when we talk about inspiration, what are we talking about? Well, maybe if I give you a couple of things when a lot of people say, yeah, we believe in the inspiration of God's word. There are those that believe in what would be known as a mechanical or dictation inspiration. That mainly means that the writers were stenographers, robotic if you would. Uh, they didn't have any choice in the words that they used. Uh, their styles, their personalities didn't come through. They were simply, their hands were being controlled by God as they wrote those words. Of course, it's hard to really read the Bible and to believe that that could possibly be the kind of inspiration that he's talking about. And a lot of the Bible would completely lose its meaning. What about when Paul was writing to the Romans and he said in chapter 9, he said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also, bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Or I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul was carrying such a heavy burden for those that were not Christians that he was willing to be cursed himself for them to be saved, if that would help. Well, did he not really mean that? Was that just God making his hand put those things down? Or did they come from within a real man? I believe with all my heart. That's exactly what Paul was feeling and that God allowed him to express there for us to know today. We find that some that would say they believed in inspiration would use the theory of what's known as conceptual inspiration. Oh, we believe in the inspired word of God? Well, that theory says that God inspired a concept but not every word. You see, there was a time when just saying, I believe in the inspired word of God was clear enough. I read one author that was talking about in his lifetime, and this was a couple of centuries back. <laughs> he said, we used to be able to say that we believed in the inspired word of God. Now we got to start, he said, we had to start saying we believed in the verbal inspiration of God's word. Verbal simply meaning every word. He said, then we had to start saying we believed in the verbal plenary inspiration of God's word. 
that every word and every eye kept, all everything in its whole was inspired by God. And of course, the idea of conceptual, this says that, yeah, they believe it's inspired, but not every word. It leaves a lot to the writer's understanding of what God is revealing to him. Matter of fact, it takes much of the importance of the individual words away and instead just focuses upon the ideas. Does that sound familiar to you with many of the quote-unquote new Bibles that we have on the market today? That you don't have to take every word literal? That when they translate it, that as long as they get the idea or the concept across, that that's all that's really important? Folks, that's the concept theory. That's what is within much of Christianity today. And it's brought many of the dangers that we face today. I'm saying to you unashamedly, if it's the Word of God, we need it literally word for word in its whole, everything about it as God gave it to us, not what man thinks that it should have been. All of this dynamic equivalence that we're saying what God said, well, I don't want you to tell me what you think that God said I want to know what God said. He promised to give me his Holy Spirit to help me understand what he said, not what some man says that it says. And folks, you can't have it both ways. You find that some people believe in the theory of partial inspiration. It says that, you know, the parts of the Bible that are revelatory, that are prophetic, all those things are inspired, but when it comes to speaking on historical and geographical and scientific matters, no. So according to that theory, that means that we've got to figure out, well, okay, this is inspired. This is from God. <laughs> this is the way God wanted it because this has to do with prophecy. But no, no, that's a historical thing, so we can't take that to be. Many people believe that. And of course, that is exactly the kind of thinking that carries over and brings us what we know is the situational ethics of our day. <laughs> truth and error become degrees of truth and error. It's not just truth and error. It's so much truth and so much error, and it depends on the situation. It depends on the reasoning. It's no longer right and wrong. It depends on the situation whether it was right or wrong or how right or how wrong that it was. Everything depends on the situation. But when relating to Scripture, if that's the way you approach it, it's the reader that's left to be the final judge. You see, the authority of Scripture becomes the authority of the reader instead of the authority of God's Word. We decide, well, yeah, that part I can take, but that part, nah, that doesn't really apply today. That doesn't really matter in this situation. Inspiration, they all believe it. Then, of course, there's the theory of what's known as neo-Orthodox inspiration. You like that word? Neo-Orthodox, new orthodoxy. This goes back to Carl, Bo Carl Barth. I'd call it Carl Booth. <laughs> Sorry, Carl. <laughs> 
Karl Barth, of course, considered by many to be a great champion of the faith because he took a strong stand against liberalism. Funny. That theory doesn't deny the supernatural elements of Scripture, but it believes that there are errors that are recorded there. It says the Bible is not to be taken literally. Remember, I told you in the beginning that that is one of the things that's plastered out there as a negative against those of us that would consider ourselves to be fundamental in our beliefs, that they're liter they take the Word of God literally as if that's a bad thing. Well, I do. <laughs> you know, when God's sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense, right? God tells us God gave it to us. Neo-Orthodoxy says that God uses Scripture to communicate truth as a channel of divine revelation. Just like if you were looking at the beauty of the flower or the sunset or something like that. That means that really Scripture is only comprehended as it's understood by you. <laughs> The theory also of naturalistic inspiration. Now, that's the idea that the Bible is just simply like any other book out there in the library. In a sense to, well, there's a possibility of God giving maybe some unusual abilities to these writers, but not supernatural guidance. These would see the Bible as on the same level as many of the other books of religion, expressing the ancient views of people's spiritual experiences. In other words, it would just become on the same level as the Book of Mormons, the Watchtower public publications, the Koran, or many of the others. Just another of the many. Now you say, does that all sound a little bit confusing? <laughs> I mean, all these people talking about they believe in the inspiration of God's Word. And yet it's obvious they're believing very different things when they use that word inspiration and what it means. Sound confusing? Well, it's supposed to be. That's the idea. Satan loves to confuse. And I'll guarantee you that if he can confuse you about anything, he wants to confuse you about God's Word. Remember, it's this Word being believed and accepted as God's Word, not the Word of man, that can change your life. It's only in believing this Word and what it teaches you about the one Lord Jesus Christ that died upon the cross, that shed His blood to pay for your sins because God wants you to have life. He doesn't want you to have the curse of sin on you. And He's been very patient, waiting, waiting, that you might have opportunity. You see, the truth is, one day it's going to be too late. One day he's going to say, that's it. You know, it's amazing. Many times people look around and think, why does God let it go on? Maybe because it's your only hope. When God says that's it, it will be it. There won't be any more of this sinful earth as we know it because that's the only way 
to get rid of all the horrific things that go on around us. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I want to tell you today what I believe that inspiration really is, what true inspiration is, and what we mean when we talk about a fundamental of the faith that is the inspiration of God's word. Think about it. Some 40 writers over a period of 15 to 1600 years. Some were kings and some were peasants. Some were great philosophers and some were farmers of the land. Physicians to fishermen. Statesmen and scholars. All from varied cultures and varied backgrounds and varied characters even from so many different experiences and walks of life. And yet I'm saying to you, you pick this book up and you read it from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, and there's perfect continuity. How can that be? How can you have that many different people writing over so many hundred years and many of them not even seeing or knowing what the other one has written and yet all of it telling the same story, never contradicting itself? Why? There's only one explanation, folks, because there's only one author. Yes, he used many writers. You see, the same book, simple enough for a child to read it and understand it. And yet, at the same time, complex enough for the greatest minds to be confounded <laughs> with an infinite treasure of divine wisdom, divine knowledge that comes from God above, influencing lives, touching lives, changing more lives than every other book in all the world put together. All of them have never changed the lives that this one book has. Published in more languages than anything in history, I'm saying that it's unsurpassable in its content. That even from before man's creation to eternity's future beyond the existence of this earth, from earth to heaven above to the depths of hell below, teaching about God and about angels and about man and about time and eternity, encompassing life and death and sin and salvation. I'm saying to you, there is nothing that you can bring me. There is nothing that you can show me that compares to this book because it is the very Word of God revealing to us the very person and glory of God Almighty Himself pinned by the hand of man, though breathed by God himself. Nothing, no other literature in all of history compares to the Bible, the Word of God. Why? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The writers were just humans. They were fallible like you and I. 
In their flesh, they were subject to error. But God breathed through them his infallible word, a supernatural work. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.21, he said, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. That word literally means to carry a burden. That's the, that's the picture he's giving us. It's they, they were given this, this, this burden to carry. We find that the idea, I think I've used the illustration before, hard for us so many times to get this idea of God being in control, God being sovereign, God taking your life in a particular path, and yet you having choice and free will. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? <laughs> Nobody here? <laughs> Anybody ever seen a cruise ship? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> well, I've never been on one either. I, I, I prefer dry land to being out in the middle of nowhere on the ocean, <laughs> especially when the storms come up. <laughs> it's like a cruise ship, though. You know, a cruise ship has a captain. It has those that are, that are taking that ship from point A to point B, and that's where it's going. But everybody that's on that ship they're not chained up in chains. They're free. And they're free to walk around on that ship and they're free to do the things that they want to do. They're not some robot or something. But yet, the destination where they're going to end up is where the captain takes them. <laughs> and I'm saying with our lives, yes, we're free. We can walk around. We can make choices. We can do the things we want. But the destination where we're going to end up is up to him. It's up to him. You do have freedoms. But thank God, God has a plan and God has a direction and God's going somewhere. Thank God that he's the one that's in control. And you see, it's the same thing. It kind of gives us an idea of this inspiration. These writers were going exactly where God took them to. But their own personalities showed through. They were individuals. They were human beings. But God supernaturally took over. And he breathed those words so that it was given to us exactly as he wanted it to be given to us without overriding their wills, without making them something non-human. By a supernatural act of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration. Listen, we see illumination. That's the theme of the Bible. Do you know that? Illumination. Do you know what it illuminates? Jesus Christ. We just read there in, in, in John chapter 1. Everything was created by him. Without him was not anything created that was created. He is the creator. He is the Lord and ruler of the universe. He is the incarnate word of God. He is the savior of mankind the unfolding of God's plan and God's purpose for the human race. He wants life for you. He's offered you life, but you can accept it or reject it. Otherwise, you'd just be another computer, another robot, 
And you couldn't really love anyway, and you couldn't really be loved because you'd just be some mechanical machine. But you have a choice today. The Word of God illumines to us Jesus Christ. Not only illumination, but manifestation. You know the supreme purpose of God? To glorify God. <laughs> Which is actually, by the way, the supreme purpose for your life to glorify God. You know, in everything that we do, he should be glorified. The manifestation of the glory of God. It also has to do with revelation. You know, God is revealed in all of his glory. We see him revealed in creation. Romans 1.20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It's clearly seen, he says, that God's a creator. We see God revealed as Christ. Jesus asked the question in John 14, 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? We see God revealed in the written word. The written word that we have. God revealed himself in special ways. You know, he was there in the Garden of Eden with, with Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day. We see him revealing himself to his prophets in different ways through the Old Testament. We see him revealing himself to his apostles through Jesus Christ. Folks, we see him revealing himself today through his word, by the power of his spirit. The book is a book of revelation to reveal to us God, our creator. A lot of people try to get on the bandwagon and they claim all kinds of revelation from God. They claim to be spokesmen of God and that's nothing new. It's been around. I was going to turn and read. Make notes. If you're taking notes there this morning, just jot down Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 28 to 40, and read that when you go back. And you'll realize that, you know, that's nothing new. <laughs> How can you know the truth? Only through God's Word. There are always going to be those claiming things, but I say to you again, only through God's Word. That's got to be the God. That's got to be the rule. He breathed every word of it. He's the one that will illuminate those words through the Holy Spirit that they might be applied to your life, that they might make a difference in you individually, that he might guide you. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you're taking notes, verses 9 through 16, the clock's my enemy. It's running out on me. Turn and read there. Look at what God will do for you through his word. Peter knew that he was getting close to leaving this world. He knew that his end was about to come. He wanted to make sure that the saints knew what they had in God's word. Second Peter chapter 1. This is quite mind-boggling. Because, you know, you've heard people maybe say before, you know, boy, if... If only I'd been there with the apostles. If only I'd been able to walk hand in hand with Jesus and all these things. Well, notice what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, 
Beginning in verse 14, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, my time's coming to an end. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Listen, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. He's saying, this is mind-boggling. He said, yeah, I was there when God spoke from heaven and said, I am well pleased in this, my beloved son. But you know, he says, we have an even more sure word of prophecy than that. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is what will give you life. This is what will change your life. And of course, interpretation. Interpretation of the Bible, proper interpretation is vital. He's given you his word. He's given you his spirit that you might be able to understand God never gave us this to confuse your mind so that you could not understand. It's meant for your understanding. And of course, that is not something that is left open to just man. That's why I said to you before, there is no better interpreter of Scripture than Scripture itself. He tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's God through the Holy Spirit that will illuminate the Scriptures to us. There are some practical things. You know, God doesn't rule out common sense. He doesn't mind us actually thinking sometime. Matter of fact, he's got a lot of good things to say about thinking and what should be happening in our mind. I mean, what is the purpose of the Bible as a whole? If, if, if the purpose of that is, is to glorify God, it's not going to tell you something that's going to go contrary to that, is it? What's the particular message of a book that you start reading in the Bible? Who was it being written to? For what purpose was it being written? You see, what is the proper context? All Scripture is given for your good. But what's the proper context? Yes, God said things to Israel that he didn't say to you personally. You, that's still there for you to learn from, for you to gain good from, but not to claim it in the wrong way. What does God's Word say elsewhere about that subject? Because remember, he'll never contradict himself. Look at all that God has to say about it. Not just take a little piece out that you like here, a little piece here to prove what you're wanting to say. Look at all that he says about it. Pay attention. Have you ever heard the word exegesis? 
proper exegesis of the words. You know, don't make it say, you know, look at the words, understand the words, study the words, take them in their proper context and their, and their proper meaning. Too many times the words are either overlooked and left out or they're changed a little bit here, changed a little bit there. And I know it's hard. But we need to honestly try to guard ourselves against prejudice, against biases about things that we already have. Remember, I give you this in closing. It's God's Word. Every word is inspired. Every word is God-breathed. It is the very basis of the faith. The one that if you're here and you're not a born-again Christian, the one that can give you life. And if you are here as a born-again child of God, the one which we must contend for. And we must contend for proper inspiration. It's a fundamental of what we believe about God's Word. I'm going to give you five other things in the next sermon, God willing, that will hopefully strengthen your faith in God's Word. And I just wanted to touch, and that's all I've done this morning, is on this matter of inspiration. It is different from any other book. And if you have trouble with inspiration, if you don't really believe that it came from God, then it's going to be tough to follow on with the other things. It's not meant to be an exhaustive study. I want you to show you what, what is unique and different about God's Word. I don't want you to take my Word this morning. I don't want you to take what the Baptist church says this morning. I don't want you to take what any church or any religion says. My challenge to you is take what God says this morning. That's your only hope. That's your only foundation. We find that Remember, it was that faith that's once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all, through Jesus Christ, through his apostles, through the giving of his word, he delivered that faith to you and I. Complete and sufficient for every need that you have in John chapter 5, and in verse 24, Shelley begins to make her way to the piano for our closing hymn. John chapter 5, and in verse 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, listen, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. In Romans chapter 10 and in verse 17, Word of God says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God's Word, folks, it is worth fighting for. 
It does matter what we believe about God's Word. As a matter of fact, I say to you, there is no other way that man can come to the truth. There is no price that is too high for us to pay. There is no battle that is too tough for us to fight. Because when it comes to God's Word, there is no room for compromise whatsoever. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. In closing, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in a holy conversation in godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him that hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, Beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. I'm saying this morning, if you're here as an unbeliever, there is nothing in all of this world that needs to be protected more for you than the truth of God's Word that can show you the way. God has done everything to offer you life. And this is where he tells you about it. Christians realizing it is a bad place. And one day it's going to be wiped out and it's going to be done away with. But it's only by God's compassion, his grace, his long-suffering, that he's given you opportunity before it's all wiped out. He's given you opportunity to put your faith and trust in Christ. And he says, Christians, boy, we, knowing the truth, we need to be steadfast. We need to be careful that we're not caught and carried away by the craftiness of man, away from the very foundation of our faith that he's given for us. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, I know that people have been patient and listening, and I know that even then, Lord, that I've, I've rushed through a lot of things on this simple thought of inspiration. Lord, you know the hearts of each one. I believe with all my heart that I've preached what you gave us this day, and you knew who would be here. You know the needs. 
I pray now that as you speak to hearts as only you can, I pray that those, pray that those hearts would be responsive, each and every one. Lord, if there's Christians here today that are carrying special needs, special burdens, Lord, maybe they just need to come down and join with someone in prayer today. Father, maybe there are those here they don't know Jesus Christ in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would deal with their hearts. Lord, that maybe this would be the day they would put their faith and trust in him. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <music> 